Uh, we're going to be in Luke 12. Luke 12 today. And, and it's very dramatic today, actually. Um, there's some real drama going on that Luke captures that the others do not because of the way um, Luke uses a couple of things. One is the way he groups uh, stories. They all group a little different. Now, that's not, um, that's not saying there's any contradiction. That's not the way they do things. They group their stories to make their point. That's, a, that's, that's their convention, if you want to use the correct word for it, I guess. But what Luke also does here is he throws lines one after another to build tension. Because this is a very good time to be building tension, frankly. Um, he has just gone after, if you remember, the, uh, the religious establishment. And then he did the Samaritan story. Then he goes after the religious establishment really hard. And then starting in chapter 12, verse 1, he is getting surrounded. Now, what's, what's going on? Uh, by the way, I didn't officially start. I just started. I hope that's acceptable. Um, and by, I hope you didn't mind the repeat sermon today. <laughs> it was six years ago. If you had great memories, you know, well done you. Uh, I will tell you that I did that sermon almost twice on that day. Uh, it was the one and only mistake Laurie Lee has ever made in the six years I've been here. So I have to bring it up. I told her I'm recording in the auditorium. She got it. She got it. 22 minutes in, she comes walking in, talking on her cell phone, freezes, looks at me, and I look at her, and she turns around and walks out, and I start all over. So um, I, will, I will tease her about that to her grave, because she's unlikely to make any other errors. You know, she's, she's just way too competent. Um, anyway, it, all of this drama is hitting because Jesus has, has riled the system. Uh, the Samaritans are not his enemy. And he tells them, in fact, they're our neighbors. That is just, oh, I, I really wish that I could, um, and remember the chat room, guys, click on chat and you can send messages to each other or questions to me or comments to everyone. Um, I, I, I've tried to figure out a good equivalent to the Samaritan story. Josh Graves did, a, did an excellent one with the book he wrote a few years ago called How Not to Kill a Muslim. And he, actually that title, he did not like the title, but the Muslims he was working with asked him to make that the title. And so he did. Um, this is during the height of um, George Bush's second term. Uh, the war was grinding and, gr and it was a meat grinder as well. It was hurting so many people. And so Josh uses a Muslim from Iraq or Iran as our Samaritan. For some people, it's going to be a Republican or a Democrat, or it's going to be a gay person, or it's going to be a straight. I, I cannot make your application. What I can say is find the person or the group that you would never even admit out loud that are the worst possible people as far as you're concerned. And Jesus is riling, look, getting right in your face and saying, this is your neighbor. You love them and you care for them. It is that that shocked the system. Then to go after the religious leaders. And now the crowd is crushing. Look at the way it starts in, in Luke 12. Meanwhile, now that meanwhile is a big word. We usually just jump it. It means while all this is going on, things are happening concurrently. We are used to reading a story where it flows and we're used to watching a program where everything flows but in life many things happen at the same time so while he's doing this people are coming and the crowd is getting mixed this means you lose control over which direction your words are going because you don't know who's listening and who is who in the crowd meanwhile when a crowd of many thousands luke was not a jew when Luke uses numbers, he means numbers. He's not doing a symbol. So by thousands, he doesn't mean lots. He means thousands. Um, had gathered so that they were trampling on one another. This is a, this is a dangerous situation. Uh, I've never been to Jerusalem. Um, I've been to the Holy Land, but that's Scotland, and we've already discussed that. But I've never <laughs> been to Jerusalem or those regions. Uh, so I, um, 
I don't know, but I have been to other areas and I've seen enough film uh, that those narrow corridors and those smaller plazas, I, um, Jerusalem never had, never had the plazas like you find in Spanish culture, which are vast and just amazing, uh, or the piazzas in Italy. So the crowds are coming, but they're also dangerous because you don't know who's who. They didn't wear t-shirts that said, I'm with the Pharisees or hashtag Jesus. They, they didn't do that. Uh, so you don't know if you're talking to friend or foe. That's important. Jesus began to speak first to his disciples. This would have literally been a huddle up, guys. Huddle up. Get into it. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Let's stop right here. The phrase, which is hypocrisy, may not have been spoken by Jesus. It does not appear in some of the earliest manuscripts. There is a, a thing which happens, it has a technical word to it, name for it, that whenever monks or students would make comments in margins, sometimes they work their way in. Most commonly, it's a little thing, such as behold, you know, that gets its way in. This may or may not have been said by Jesus. The yeast of the Pharisees, I think we could call it hypocrisy. Um, Jesus certainly called them hypocrites, but it's a little bit broader than this. It's arrogance, it is smugness, it is self-satisfaction, it's the I'm okay, you're not okay. Look, um, I, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to write an article, a, a short thing for Facebook and Instagram and um, uh, a thread on Twitter, but I, I'm fighting it because every time I write it, I end up doing the very thing I'm going after. I'll just put it this way. This, um, this quarantine has not done Christianity a favor when it comes to the reputation of Christianity. I'm getting emails from people who are questioning their faith because of the way Christians treat each other online. And we're living online. And so they're seeing all of this. And you might say that's a very shallow thing, but please understand isolation kills. Uh, the rate of suicide is going way up right now. Um, people are hurting. So, but every time I try to write saying, you need to be good to each other and don't be so arrogant, I come off as arrogant. And I come off as preaching to the group. So I'm still writing and rewriting and rewriting something for the last week. And that's not normally like me. Um, I may never actually put it up. It may get to the point where I say, you know something, the more you say you're not a Pharisee, the more Pharisaical you sound sometimes. Um, and that said, we do need to be really careful because the only people Jesus really went after were the ones who said, our team's right, your team's not. We're okay, you're not okay. God likes us best. Anytime those words or that attitude starts to come into your your brain, yeah, that's a danger point. Uh, that's a danger point. Um, moving on, there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you've whispered in the in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, when I was a boy, these verses were always used linked to the Moses story, where Moses uh, tells the people, be sure your sins will find you out. Anybody else ever heard that put together? Um, that all of your secret sins will be dredged up and shown. Um, well, we've seen that. You know, we've seen where people that had great sterling reputations, all of a sudden we find that they had sexually harassed women throughout their ministry or, you know, things such as this. We, we do say this. Uh, rather, we do see this. I think, however, this, I, I really like to keep it in context. I think he's warning them to watch what they say because anything they say can be overheard by anybody here and just because you think you're talking to a friend, you may not be talking to a friend. I think of uh, Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism. He, um, he got people to, to say, you know, back him up, oh yeah, we saw all of that too. And then later they said, no, it, you know, some of them said, no, we didn't. You know, Sid, uh, Sidney Rigdon, who's one of the most fascinating and puzzling characters in history to me, 
<clears throat> was um, part of one religious movement and then latched on to Alexander Campbell and the Restoration Movement, then left us and latched on to the Mormons. And then the Mormons kind of had a problem with him and he went to England and it's, all, every group thought this is our trusted guy. This is our guy. And it wasn't your guy. Um, I, but it's just, it's one of those things, watch what you say. My, my dad used to say to me, don't say anything in private or write anything in a note that you don't want to see on a billboard. Um, I understood his point. I didn't follow through. I've said all kinds of things I shouldn't have said, written things I shouldn't have written. Um, being a human, doing a job that comes with a warning label written by God himself. Let not many of you be teachers, for you will receive the greater condemnation. Um, these type of passages concern me. But I think this is really more situation. To, we're heading toward the cross here. People are going to start getting violent. They are actively seeking to find a way to kill Jesus. And we've all seen enough movies to know that if you want to kill the big guy, sometimes you go after his friends. He's warning them. Um, then, by the way, the conversation continues. To me, it sounds like because of the shift and the length of it, that he might have been able to pull them out of the mob to the side for a bit. Because he goes, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. I want to stop there. Mainly because if we go further, it's going to lead us down another hole and, and we got to go down that hole. It's an important hole. But right now, one of the things that amazes me in literature and, and in movies and the like is how much people want to live. Now, I need to explain this. Back in the day, um, and I've never been a real big TV watcher. I'm not opposed to that at all, but I don't, I don't think you're more spiritual if you don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, but I just couldn't find stuff to get into. Uh, then my worship minister at Rochester handed me on DVD the first couple of seasons of 24. And I'm not really sure what happened after that. It was just three days later, I woke up you know, in my underwear on my couch covered with Cheeto dust, wondering what happened to my life. Um, sorry for the visual, um, but that, that's free. It's free. Um, the one thing, about, and I love 24, I really did. I even loved the reboot that they did right after we moved here, about six years ago, they rebooted it for a little bit. Um, I, I can remember sitting on the couch very, with my wife, watching a very, very tense moment at that moment, our refrigerator decided randomly, it is possessed by the devil, um, to spit out several ice cubes that hit the floor. That was not a good moment. You know, I, uh, it deserved being shot. I will admit reloading was a bit extreme, but <laughs> just that was, but during, during 24, what always got me was, you've got the nuclear codes. If they get the codes, millions will die. We understand. Give us the codes. Okay. Why would you want to live that much? And yes, even they put the gun up against the head of the girlfriend, you know, or something. And you're going, okay, kill millions of people. I'm sure we'll be fine. Uh, Aaron Beck, the founder of, um, of, th of a therapy, the cognitive therapy, one of, one of the major streams in psychotherapy of the last hundred years, one of the biggest, said the chief danger in life is that a man will take too many precautions. You can decide you wanna live so much you never get a chance to. John Prine, who passed away about a month ago now, wrote a song never released as a single called Safety Joe, which um, it, it follows that. If you ever wanna check that out on YouTube, not now, um, you know, later. Um, I'm trying to remember other ones. There was, um, oh, I got to remember. There was another poem that talked about this person, ate right, did right, and just on and on and on. And that the very last couple lines, uh, took a bath, slipped, broke their neck, and it served them right. That's the way they, they end the poem. We can decide we want to live so much that we live in fear with too many protections, too many precautions, and we do not live. Please do not read into this anything about the COVID crisis. This is about humanity. This is about the way we live. Taking precautions is great, 
but how much do you want to live? What would you sell out? What would you give away to, um, to stay alive? I've had people who told me uh, that they are, they'll never get in an airplane. You know, they'd, uh, they'd like to go see their kids here, there, or the other, but they won't get an airplane. I'm going, and this is way before this crisis. This is just, no, I don't trust airplanes. And you can tell them all the facts and figures. And I'm going, well, if you choose not to expand your life, you know, there's nothing I can do about this. But he goes further. I will show you whom you should fear. I got to stop there. Uh, my dad was always, he loved this passage. It was basically, you know, if you want a problem, I'm going to show you what a problem is. Uh, he'd look at me every now and then and say, Patrick, if you want to declare war, you've declared the wrong war with the wrong guy. And uh, next thing I know, I would see Jesus down a big tunnel full of light, but my dad always grabbed me and pulled me back. Um, I'll show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. One of these days, uh, I need to do a series on, on hell and just talk about where I am on that. It's very public, by the way. I, I, I don't hide where I am. Um, I even have a little paper that when people ask for it, I'll send it to them. Um, I call myself a hopeful universalist for a reason, is that I do believe that God's grace is gonna cover a whole lot more people than we think it will. I'm not really at universalism yet, but you know, Richard Rohr's recent book was a pretty good book if you wanna check one out on it. Um, and I'm, I wish Albert was in the room with us because Albert knows that I disagree with him on this. Albert has a very traditional view of hell. And there's no way I'm gonna tell you Albert's wrong. What I'm gonna say is we both have our opinions, but neither of us are going. So it's not like if he doesn't come to me or me to him, we're gonna be lost. But I really want to do a series where Albert gets to have his say as well. Uh, we want to be, I'm not really into the balanced. I'm much more into the, it's not fair to give one interpretation when another interpretation does exist and, and has enough behind it to make sense. All right. That said, I do not believe here he is saying, you watch it. They can only kill you once. We can torture you for eternity. I believe that he is talking about that you are thrown away. You are thrown away and you don't come back. Your memory is dead. Please, if you read the Old Testament, the worst thing can happen to you, lose your land, lose your family, and people forget you. And that, that's really hell. That's outer darkness. That's Gehenna. I think he's saying there's something worse than dying. Always remember that. <laughs> Let's not do field research on the topic of hell. <laughs> that's probably true. Um, I, the chat rooms are funny places. It's good. Um, let's um now by the way in our bible well in my bible i'm reading an niv with the 2011 um redo and, and i like it i really do um there's not a paragraph break here and i really feel that there should be one so before i leap into that if you have questions you can unmute yourself and, and ask or uh put something in the chat box either one right Going ahead at what I would think is a break at, at verse six. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Remember, hell is more to these people. Their minds are not fully developed on hell. They got some ideas from hell um, back uh, when they were in Babylon, where they got ideas about a lot of things. But the idea of an eternal torture pit and the seven circles of hell, Dante's you know, divine comedy and all that sort of thing. Um, oh, um, paradise lost, paradise regained, all of, the, all of those. That's way in the future. The idea of little demons poking you with, 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 with forks, that's, that's so far in the future. To them, hell truly is to disappear, to be gone. Your family is wiped out. There is no root nor branch. You've lost your land and they forget you. So he says, that's why it's important when you see this reflection. Five sparrows are little, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. You don't want to be the one who's forgotten by God, who he turns his back on. 
yet not one of them. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. I had a preacher once who was rather bald, and he said, God doesn't have to take as much time with me as he does with some of you. Um, but I believe this is hyperbole. Does God know the number of hairs on our head? I'm sure he does if he wants to, but I'm not really sure that's what this is talking about, that he's actually regulating that. It's more, he is concerned about you. He loves you. He knows you. He's wrapped around you. Take comfort in this, even as the mob comes against you. Don't try to live too long or love life too much. Um, <clears throat> so Hebrews 11, my Bible's off to the side here. <clears throat> Hebrews 11. Do you guys ever, <clears throat> it's, a, it's Confession Sunday. Do you guys ever, when you're turning through the Bible, still do the little song in your head? Yeah, me too. <laughs> Those Bible school teachers, they rock. Uh, I, I think of several things, you know, they, it's just amazing. Um, it's, it's Hebrews 11 I'm looking for. And it talks about how they did not love their life so much as to shirk from death. I think that's, I think that's in there, but I'm going to check it out later and let you know, okay? Don't want to waste your precious, valuable time here. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Um, there is always, fullness requires that you have all the data. Um, I can remember a sermon on this, and only one, so I don't think it really ever hit a mainstream thread anywhere, that use this year of more worth than many sparrows to really go against the environmental movement of that time. Those of you that are not of a certain age may think that, you know, climate change and such is a relatively new, um, well, climate change, not so much, but um, concern over the environment is relatively new. No, do you remember back in the seventies, those of you that are old enough, that green little case, lowercase e that was everywhere for ecology. Uh, and that was a big deal. And, and I don't remember, where I was at the time. But I do remember the preacher saying, you know, don't let, you know, you are worth more than sparrows. The world is just basically here for us to use and toss as necessary. No, remember our first job God gave us was to care for the earth. So just in case anybody else heard that preacher, I wanted to bring that up. All right. Yes. If, if I have a choice between saving a sparrow or you, I'm saving you, which a little traffic safety note might come in handy here. We, we um, I don't know what the figures are, but I'm sure somebody has them, of the number of accidents caused and deaths caused by people who veer their car away from an animal on the road and end up crashing and dying or hitting people. Always keep in mind, uh, I can remember once driving through South Carolina at night, had a van load of um, church people with me, and if you've never driven in coastal South Carolina, the sides of the road drop off quickly and it's swamp and a deer jumped out. And I had about a second and a half to make a decision and I kept the wheel straight, let off the gas and started the brake, but just boom, because if I went off, you know, I could save the deer, <laughs> but their critters live in those swamps and they are not native to Scotland and I have no interest in being introduced. Um, so anyway, always remember, yes, you are more valuable than sparrows, but that doesn't mean we can disregard sparrows. You know, we, we love, we love what God gave us. Anything off the side? Um, no, most of the days it's a Bible on your phone. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, verse eight, I tell you, and this, this does, it's a paragraph in the 2011 NIV, and, it, and I, I think it is in reality as well. And a paragraph might indicate actually a shift in location. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the son will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Now, when I was a boy, <laughs> this sermon was always there about uh, when the Russians come, and they make worship illegal, will you still go to church? 
And um, my thought was, it seems to be highly inefficient for us to all then gather in one place. Um, maybe we, but I, I never said that because that would have been, oh my goodness, that would have been a bad day in Blackrock. Do you remember also that they would say if the, um, if they make it illegal to be a Christian, will there be enough evidence against you to convict you? Anybody ever remember that one? I went to the first, second, and third guilt Church of Christ. Um, wow. It was, I have met Jews and Catholics that looked at me and said, dude, chill. You know, uh, uh, it, it, it's sad, basically. He is, but he is talking to them in a really life or death moment, saying, don't be afraid to acknowledge me, even if it means your death. So those preachers weren't entirely off the rocker. Um, and they would do scenarios. So as kids, well, if they put a gun to you or a bayonet, they loved bayonets. A bayonet to you, would you? Um, and we would always go, yes, because it was, we had a pretty good idea it wasn't going to happen anytime soon. So, you know, being held to that was, was um, unlikely. I don't know what I'd do. You know, um, the, the Catholics actually have a really well thought out and defined thought pattern about this, about when it is acceptable to lie to, for a greater good to occur, such as life to continue, you know, hiding Anne Frank and the, the loft or the light. Um, we don't have one of those. And if ever you want to read their stuff there, like I said, it's not like it's an out. They really do go the logical route with this thing to try to work it through. Um, but I think we need, to, we need to back up a little bit because most of us are not going to be in, in this situation. Most of us are not going to be surrounded by people that will kill you if you're Christian. So let's pull back. The Bible talks about whoever confesses me. You know, Romans 10 is a classic for that, whoever confesses me. The word confession in the Greek, and I only know this because I know people who know Greek, uh, is the same as the word profession. It is the way you live your life. Do you remember that? Hiding the candle under a bushel. Your life professes who you believe in. Your life professes who's your Lord. Um, many people grab Jesus as Savior, but don't want him as Lord. And it's a package deal. Always reminds me of the young man uh, doing premarital counseling way back in the day when I used to do that. Um, and I asked him one of the standard questions you do. I said, how do you get along with her parents? And uh, she kind of, you know, looked around a little bit and he went, well, you know, well, you know, it's strong, but it doesn't matter. And I said, why doesn't it matter? And she, he says, well, I'm not marrying them. Oh, yes, you are. It's a package deal. Um, he never did believe me until after they got married. And I decided not to go to his house and go, ha, but just, you know, let it, let nature unfold as nature will. Patrick. Yes. Can I uh, push you just a little bit on this? Uh, I'd be interested in your perspective. Uh, you know, I, I've read where people will look at this particular text and then point to Peter and, and the other apostles who denied him uh -huh. uh, when, when it was a moment of great fear. Um, and then also take the spin that you just created where perhaps you have a person whose life is absolutely all about Christ, but in a moment of fear or stress, great stress, um, may, uh, may out of fear not react the same way that their life story would, would exemplify. So, you know, this does start with, with saying that he was speaking first to his disciples. But, but how do you think this plays? I mean, it, how do you deal with that um, story of, of, uh, of, well, is this really about a moment of crisis or is this about what your life is about? Love it. Love it. Now, I'm going to go down a tangent and then take a pause to make sure that I'm not going down the wrong tangent. Okay. Um, 
when I was always taught that if you die with unconfessed sin or unrepented of sin, that you'd go to hell. One example I can remember, uh, the preacher talked about a man who had a cursing problem, always cursing, always cursing. And he became a Christian. He was really trying not to do that anymore. And he was up repairing shingles on a roof. This is all made up. And they told me this isn't a person. This is a story. Um, and he's shingling and he hits his thumb and he curses and he slides off the roof and dies. Will he go to heaven? And their answer was no. Well, that's just plain terrifying. I want you to notice before we go any further that the people he said, confess me before men, failed. At least all but John. John may not have. Um, it's a little hard to figure out when and where he would have. Um, they failed by at least running. You know, Peter failed most spectacularly. These very people were forgiven and embraced by Jesus. And in fact, before they came crawling on their knees to him, with Peter in particular, uh, Luke is the only one that'll bring this up, by the way, uh, that Jesus met privately with Peter before they went with the rest of the apostles. I've had people say, oh, they wish they could have seen that meeting. And part of me does, but a part of me goes, you know something? That should have remained private between God and Peter. Whatever it was, Peter was strong enough to the next time stand up in front of all of Pentecost and say what he should have said earlier. So I do not believe that a momentary weakness, even if it's the last thing you say and do, you know, do you, you know, where are the Christians? I'm going to shoot your kids. And you, and you blurt it out or you say, no, I don't believe in them. And they kill you. The Bible says the blood of Christ cleanseth us from all sins. And I want to give a plug for the King James Version. It's really got, it is riddled with, it, with, with issues. Let's just be very fair. But there's a convention in the King James Version that we sometimes make fun of that is actually helpful. It's the uths. Not all verbs are uthed. And, and I just made up that, I wordified that just now. Uh, are, are uthed. For example, let's look at uh, Mark 16, 16. Yes, might not have been in the original, but please work with me. He that believes, believeth, and is baptized shall be saved. It doesn't say baptizeth. Now, why? Why is one an uth verb and the other is not? The King James scholars uh, put an uth on the end of a verb that indicated in, in the Greek a continual action. So uth, whoever continues to believe and is baptized, one time thing, shall be saved, past tense. So you got, you got really three different wild shades of verb here. When the Bible says the blood of Christ continually cleanseth us from all sins, and some versions don't put in continually because they have a cleanseth. Others put continually cleanseth us of all sins. We are forgiven. As C.S. Lewis would put it, we know bad stuff about ourselves that nobody else knows about us. He knows bad stuff about us that we don't know about us. And yet we are saved. It is the grace of God that saves us, not our obedience when a gun's to our head. That, that, that momentary lapse. I believe that if Peter were to have died that night at the hand of another, he would have been forgiven by God. I believe Judas would have been. The only difference between Judas and Peter is one quit. One gave up. So we don't name our kids Judas, but we named them Peter. When you ask, you know, what are we going to name the kid? Somebody says, Peter, you don't go, what? why would you name them after the great doubting person? No, we don't, we don't define people that way. Not if they keep trying. And again, I think you were talking about the end of life, but I have rambled somewhat. Um, where was I going down the rabbit hole you were pointing to, Trace? I was? Okay. Any, any input over here? I have God knows your heart. Yes. And you know, that's not always a comfort to me. <laughs> but do you remember the sermon from last week when I said the really good news is that God will judge you because it's God doing it. And he loves us. So that's good news, not bad news. God knows your heart. 
Um, let me go, someone's asking about Colossians 3.23. Let me run over there. Colossians is still in the New Testament. Just, just checked it. Come on pages. There we go. Um, whatever you, Colossians, is that where? Colossians 2.23. Oh, I'm in three. That's why it didn't look right. No, it is 323. Um, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Oh, I see what you you, you mean. Um, and I think Trace was referring a little bit to that same concept. We work for our Lord, not for human masters. Let's do it with all of our heart. Um, yeah, that's a, good, that's a good call. It's a good call. Okay. Um, let's go back over here. Words, um, let me go ahead. There you go. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Luke doesn't spend much time on it. Uh, Matthew spends more time. Mark spends more time. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit would be to attribute the works of God to the works of the devil. There are very few people that do this. Um, you can do it in illustration and you're fine. If I were to say, for example, that uh, the real God is the devil and uh, the God that uh, inspired the Bible is the bad God. You might think, well, who in the world would say that? There are some religious groups that do it, um, but they are so tiny. They are so fringe. If you've ever felt like, oh, I'll never be forgiven. No, no, this one had to be purposeful from a dead heart. You're, you're, you're good. You're going to be all right. I've also had many people ask me, well, why this one sin? And the answer is really, nobody knows. Um, the Holy Spirit, however, there are some secrets about the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. No idea what that means, but it's pretty impressive. Um, the Bible talks about... Um, any, in fact, when the world is created, and be honest now, if you're writing the story of the creation of the world, when you started it, and then you turn to, to focus your viewers on it, would it be in wild chaos, a complete mess? Nope. Who knows what happened? Perhaps that's part of that fall of a third of the angels that we mentioned today in the lesson. I, I don't know. But what I do know is when all of it was super sideways, it was the Holy Spirit who went in first. And before Jesus shows up, the Holy Spirit goes in first to John the Baptist. To, you know, we, before the, the gospel hits the, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit goes in first. There's something very special here. And God says, you know, there are lines you just don't cross. You just don't cross. Them. And this is the line I think you would have to very much intentionally cross. By the way, oh, let me just do a little historical correction because I'm not sure if I brought this up when we talked about this a few weeks ago. There have been books out there since the late 1800s that say that the Freemasons, when you get to the 33rd degree, 31st, 33rd, whatever the top one is, degree, reveal to you that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers and Lucifer was the good one and Jesus is the bad one and all this is a lie. That was written by a complete fraud and churches have been preaching it ever since. Uh, no, the Freemasons don't teach that. I think Freemasonry is frankly a bit silly, um, completely ahistorical in its foundings and such, but that's not the same as calling it demonic. So let's you know, pull back a wee bit from there. Um, when you are brought, when you are brought before synagogues, wow. That's, that's normally not in the recruiting brochure. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Right. This is where I was going a little bit earlier was, does, does it matter who he's talking to here? Because it's, this section starts with him saying he was speaking first to his disciples and, and so I was wondering, is there, does it matter who, who he's speaking to or should all of us just take it that way generally? That's, that's a great question. 
I'm not really sure I know, Trace, if I'm going to be honest about this. What I will say is I've heard people abuse this. Um, I've actually listened to a couple of preachers in my life whose policy was not to study for the sermon because they believed that their job was to get up and the Holy Spirit would just give them what they needed. Um, one church eldership actually brought me in because they were going to fire him if he didn't change. And they asked me to work with them as a team and, and me to break the news to him that he needed to, to do this. Uh, and he pushed back. He said, this is in scripture. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit also inspired the writing of scripture. Did he not? And he, he agreed. And I said, the Holy Sp Spirit has Paul looking at us saying, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, handling a right. So there's, you might want to study first before you get up. Um, it, he got better for a while, then decided he didn't want to be a minister. It, it happens. I don't always win. I know it's a shocker. I am, um, I don't know, but what I do know is this, Trace, every time that I have spent sleepless nights rehearsing the various ways this could go when I had to go face something, I have never been right. And all I did was lose some sleep. It would have been better for me to trust God and just go in. One of, and, and one of the reasons is, and this is almost Buddhist, and I'm sorry for that, but sometimes Buddhists get it right too. I don't think we should be spending time trying to defend ourselves. And I don't think we should be spending time trying to offend any others. I think we should just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So when you go in, keep it simple. Say the minimum. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let him take control of the situation. Don't walk in so prepared that there's no room for the Spirit. So maybe there's a balance there. Um, I'm, I'm very, I would actually invite um, input onto this because as I started by saying, I'm not sure this is to all of us, but it certainly could be. I, I went deaf. Okay. Patrick. Patrick. Yes. 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 <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take him in. Somebody else is listening on another device. Right, there are two devices that were open in the same room there. Yeah. We're going to wait for him to sort that out. There could be an argument over which class is better to be listened to right now. I'd like to tune in. I'm not sure how long it takes to throw a laptop through a window. <laughs> All right, Renee, this is a good time for you to show us your, your mad um, mime skills. Yeah, charades. Patrick, yes, I, I would like to uh, mention the part you're talking about, the studying part in the um, preparation of going in and doing a sermon or a class or anything like that. I think that the word is alive and that the spirit is alive in us. And if we do the studying, you know, it changes. Um, um, if, if, if I'm if reading, I'm reading the, word, the word, it, 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 it changes. changes. Mm -hmm. based, based on, on where things are in life and right. it's alive and I can see why the studying is so important not just being led at that particular moment by the Holy Spirit although that does change and it can change but I agree with the studying part and the preparation part if that makes sense oh it absolutely does and I really appreciate you saying that because some churches believe uh, that what God, what God said, said applies only in one way in every circumstance, whereas um, what you're saying is correct. It's a living document, and it can change. Our reaction needs to change according to our situation and the word. But you're very right. Renee, are you, are you with us? Um, 
what I was thinking is um, there's a scripture that says what's in your heart is what comes out of your mouth. And so, yeah, I think that um, if we're studying and if we're um, learning scripture and applying that to our heart, then when we're in a situation where we are challenged, then what the spirit leads you to say is going to come from your heart. And so we don't have to worry about figuring out what we're going to say or how we're going to say it if we've already got the message in our heart. Yes, the, I believe you're, you're referring to in the Old Testament is from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Um, Jesus put it a different way. From the same spring can come, uh, can both sweet and sour water come. And he was, you know, bringing it down to the earth level there. Uh, yeah, I, I can remember my first job that was in an area where everybody cursed on that job. All the workers cursed constantly was when I started thinking of curse words as reactions to things. I almost always kept them from reaching the cage of teeth here, but I realized it was in me. And I decided to make a little career shift and move out of there because it was, it was just filling me up. And my heart breaks for those that don't have the option of shifting. Um, but yes, I, I think what our sister Billings is, is showing us, and I, and I love, she always puts things off to the side in chats, and I'm going, wow, she should be teaching this class. Um, not knowing whether a passage applies to you is probably okay because it might apply to you later in a different circumstance. It might give you wisdom in a different way. Um, I know that as I'm preparing to, to walk us through Job, first lesson's already in the can, um, not knowing if we're going to be together during this time or not, the sermons online are going to be longer than the ones in present because we'll probably have to do two services at least to maintain some social distancing and the like. You know, wondering how do you balance all of this? Job, some, there are some nuances in Job that have new meaning now because of what we're, we're going through. I think the same with Ecclesiastes. If we're, uh, you know, we just finished that, but it, it, it showed us a few things, did it not? Um, you know, there were times my wife and I felt really put upon by not being able to go places, do things. I've had, I don't know how many speaking engagements canceled. Our cruise was canceled a few days ago. Uh, and some people will go, well, who'd get on a cruise ship? Uh, and then they even, now they're saying when they come back to cruises, they might end the, the, the buffet. And I'm thinking, just throw me off the back of the ship then. Because I'm that, what? And we realized we were talking like we were being put upon when we had food and we're in a nice house that's temperature controlled. I have access to instruments and we can make phone calls and see people around the world that we need to pull back and, and quit saying we are like Job <laughs> sitting in the ashes. Yeah, not really. Not really. Um, I do believe that there are times that we do need to rely upon the Holy Spirit a lot more than we rely upon our own hands, and that these are not rare moments. Um, I had not been hired long up in Rochester Church, just north of Detroit, when uh, a few of the shepherds were uh, detailed to work with me, and so they pulled me off the side, and they said, what we want to do is we want you to create a five-year plan. Now, I really want to stress, every one of those shepherds were sterling individuals great men of God, and still are, and I'm still friends with all of them to this day. But when they said that, uh, I looked at them and I went, no. And so they, these are all men of business. And I have found that business and church management often really just don't mesh. And I'll, I'll spare you the discussions, which were all friendly and respectful. My, my, my main thesis was, if I do my job, because they wanted metrics. At this point, we'll have 1,000 here. At this point, we'll have 1,200 here. I said, if I do my job, in three years, we might have 20 here. That was not what they wanted to hear, but they immediately understood what I was saying. We go where the Holy Spirit goes, 
That means we cannot measure as the earth measures. Remember Ecclesiastes. Let us not, uh, it's fine to plan ahead uh, to a point, but don't plan the Holy Spirit out of a job. And so we were able to work with each other and develop a year-by-year -year plan. And we it arced out a little bit. We got to where we were doing a year-and-a-half plan at a time. Always leaving verbiage in there saying, if the Holy Spirit leads us this direction and if the God wills. And we learn to say that if the Lord wills. I grew up, uh, my church always said, if the Lord wills, we'll see you next Sunday. If the Lord wills, we'll do this. Do you remember those? I think that was healthy. I think we have, um, we've forgotten some of that. But let the Holy Spirit guide you. I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm great. In fact, we have women, and, and frankly, they are all women, um, that's, that's in a group of, that I, I refer to as the wise women of fourth. Uh, and it keeps growing. We have so many wise women. And I'll tell them, would you pray about this? And let me, let me hear what you hear. And since the invention of Marco Polo, it has been wonderful that I'll get messages. And I'll say, Cammie, come here, listen to this. And they'll talk to me about their prayers. I think the Holy Spirit is best discerned in a group. Because if you try to discern him as an individual, Satan can work with that. And as human beings, we are prone to self-deception. We need to, as James put it, try every spirit to see whether they be from God. And that's best done in a group. Um, someone in the crowd, so they, you know, they're still, this is a dynamic sortie here. Oh my goodness, we're way past time. Somebody should have said that. You know, or look at your watch and sigh or shake it a little. You're having way too much fun, Patrick. It's way <laughs> too much fun. Pick up a calendar and tear the page. Uh, yeah, whatever it is. you, apparently. <laughs> well, God, thank you so much for being a part of today. This means a lot to me. I, I love seeing your faces. I really do. It means a lot to me. Uh, Cammie always tears up when the worship starts because she sees people. She's not seen. Hey, Keith, I see you there. You married a wise woman there, Keith. And, uh, and I bet he knows that. You're um, on. I keep my ears open all the time. I'm always learning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I married way up, she tells me. So, yeah, I'm, I'm right there <laughs> with you. Um, anybody have anything you want to add or say, or do you need to... Uh, run to Wendy's while, before they run out of hamburger. <laughs> We're having a cookout at our home later on for my dad and uh, my daughter. And anybody else is welcome to come. <laughs> well, there you go. I'd say dinner plans have just been sorted. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we love all of you. Uh, please pray for the shepherds and for the staff as we figure out how to roll forward because we want to do it in a way that is safe and loving and kind, but also that allows people who aren't ready yet to be all right, to be okay where they are. So we, we intend to serve every corner of our fellowship every way that we can. All right? Okay. So God bless you all. I look bye -bye. forward to seeing you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, Patrick. Cheerio. bye.